0: our passage today, Paul speaks of that. He speaks of putting off the old person and then putting on the new person. And it absolutely affects our relationship with others. Uh, you know, one person can say, you know, if, if you want to know my uh, relationship with God, look at my devotion or what I do, you know, in my prayer time or the Bible study, those things. And that's all well and good. But the, the true acid test in Scripture for one's relationship with God is their relationship with others? Is if I have if I don't have love for the person on the horizontal relationship, it shows that my love is actually cold, vertically with God. You know, there's actually scripture that says you know how can you say you love one that you see here and yet you know you don't, and it shows the relationship with God. Uh, the early church would actually when they would have baptisms, they actually would. Um, take off the old clothes. After they're baptized, they would, they would put on clothes of white to, to symbolize that, that inward work that God had done in them, that things were changed, now white as snow. And so that's what we will look at today. And the Holy Spirit is really focused in this passage with Paul on really the person who we're going to become with others. And so let's welcome God's presence and pray as we start today. God, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for how it speaks to us. Um, God, we thank you for your presence and how you are intimately evolved in our lives, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And God, we ask that you would be the teacher today, that you would be the one that would take your word and apply it to our lives and our hearts. God, we we know that there's um, decisions being made here. We know that there's needs. Uh, We know that... um, some of us may have gotten off course today um, with you, with each other. And so we ask that you would address all of that today, God. We ask that you would have your way and that you would do it in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So last Sunday we ended our time in Colossians with this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now that's a big statement, right? And there's a lots lot behind that that we unpacked last week. But think about that. when Christ right? He had the first advent, the first coming of Christ, and then the second advent is coming. We know that from, from Scripture and what Jesus said and the early church said. But think about that, that when Jesus comes again, that, that there's going to be a new picture of us, that what's really happening to me is I'm transformed in Jesus is going to be revealed then. But you can't see it all now. And what's happening with you is going to be revealed then. So something's happening. I think that's the biggest lie that we can get sometimes, is, is that something's not happening. But something's happening in us, and, 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 it, and, and we're going to look at what that looks like with others today. So the first thing we see in verse 5 of Colossians uh, is we see that becoming who you are involves Volition. So volition is the process of deciding upon a course of action. So we've talked a whole lot about that the majority of this is God's work in us. And then in the passage today, we see out, okay, what's my part? How do I work in this? And it involves volition, which is I've got a course of action. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going after. And so verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So, pretty, pretty strong words. Put to death. Put something to death. Uh, I had a skunk problem a few weeks ago, and somebody in the in the church said, "Hey, here's how you do it." You know, and it was just kind of it was serious. I'm like, "Well, can I just shoo them away?" No, you got to do away with them. You know, cut off that wild animal. And I'm like, "Wow, it, it was serious stuff." But that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about the actual doing away with these things to put them to death. So, cut, cut off the sustenance to these things. Get rid of the stray animal that's feeding, right? You maybe have a neighborhood dog or cat that you kind of keep around and, and they come over and you give them a little something, that sort of thing. That's how it can be with these things in our lives. Paul's saying, don't feed them. Don't give them a place to sit down, but keep them moving away from you. I do want to point something out in verse 5 where it says, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's, it's interesting. Uh, we typically have, have equated uh, like the earthly nature when it talks about this, like the flesh and those things we've equated it a lot of times in our minds that that's human nature. You may have heard the term, like, to err as human, that sort of thing. Some people mean it's just like, hey, we're imperfect, whatever. But human nature is not sin nature. Let's get that clear. Because here's the thing. Think about it. When you're becoming, uh, like, what's happening with you as you're growing spiritually in Christ, what are you becoming? Are you know people? They say you're becoming more godly. You're becoming more like God, more like Jesus. But are you becoming God? No. What you're becoming is you're becoming more human. Because think about it. Jesus was the perfect human. Jesus was where and is where God and humanity joined together. And so, what's happening to me is I'm becoming more human as I grow in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So human nature is not sin nature. So when it says earthly nature, it's not talking about like my humanity, like humanity is bad. Humanity is God created It's good. So as I get to know God, I become more human. I become more like him. Uh, He talks about these things. So he talks about things sexual in nature as far as um, evil evil desires and greed. Those those are different, which is idolatry. Um, Some people may call it uh, covetousness. But um, it's speaking of making people and things the object of your satisfaction, okay? And so some people want to just make sex just as a horrible thing, you know, but it's, it's something that God created for people to enjoy within the parameters and context that he set. And so, but what we see here is what he's speaking of is he's speaking of uh, making people and things the object of your satisfaction, so uh, marring the image of other people uh, for your good alone. Uh, when it says sexual immorality, it's any sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, when it says impurity, it's a wider range of se- sexual misuse. Lust is uncontrolled desires. It's just out of control desires when it speaks of that. And then uh, also evil desires and greed, uh, which is idolatry. It's, just, it's this, I must have more. Right. Many times we can become just the world's largest, largest vacuums. Right, just I just I've just got to have more. I've just got to have more. I've just got to have more. And the facade is, is that what we have to have more of is is not life at all. It's I've talked a little bit about this in this series that you have bios life, which is you know like biology bios life, which is what we always think we need more of. But bios life never satisfies. It's just stuff. Like you don't when they say you can't take it with you, that's bios life. But then there's Zoe life, which is, that's God's life that he shares with us, that he gives to us, that, that when we surrender our lives to him, that he shares his very life to the point that the New Testament authors describe it, that God now takes up his residence in me. And his very being in life moves in me and moves in you. And so the must always have more is not something that's ever going to satisfy But that's what he's talking about. Put that to death. Now, why put that to death, right? It's a good question. Why put all these things to death? Well, in verse 6, it says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so, in part, the, the wrath of God is God allowing people to do the things that they've chosen to do. That even though God has made clear that this is outside the parameters of how I've designed things, of how... Life is to work for you to have a good relationship with me and a good relationship with other people. So partly the wrath of God comes by definition when we go outside of the parameters that God has set. Uh, For instance, uh, there's laws of gravity. Like So here's a slide here. Gravity, right? So uh, um, Steve and Heather and others, if you ever skydive, these guys are experiencing gravity right now. The law of gravity. The last time that these guys jumped out of the airplane, the law of gravity was still there, and this time when they did it, it was there uh, there 's laws of money and success and friendship and relationship and health. We can try to fight those laws, but God has set them in place, and they 're the way things work, like if you go to uh, an amusement park or you go to a store and, like we went to shop at sam 's club y- yesterday and there's a way that they do things. You you hand your card and then they scan the thing. That's how they do things. If you try to do it another way, they say, that's not how we do it here. Well, God is the starter of all of this. And God says, this is how we do it here. And so anytime we go against that, we... We'll get something else. So that's partly how the wrath of God is coming, is because He says, "Put these things to death," because these things will not result well for you. It's like when I was about nine years old, my brother uh, told me something. There's a slide here. My brother told me something. Uh, this is this is where I grew up. Uh, that house there, in the center of the picture, that's my family and I built that house. Uh, so we, we moved on the property. It's 16 acres in, in Central California, uh, in San Luis Obispo County, in Templeton. And so we built that house from the ground up, and you know the neighbors came and built things. And so, so you see why I love it here. Just, just green, green area and hills and just country, and, and I love it. But see that fence right there? And it's probably not that fence, but it's probably the one where you see the posts there. So when I was about nine years old, my brother and I were playing right there, and I remember it so clearly to this day. I climbed up on the fence and said, "I'm going to walk on this fence." And my brother says, "My brother says you're going to fall off and break your arm." And I said, "I'm not going to fall off and break my arm." Guess what I did? I fell off and broke my arm, my left one. Okay. Now, he, all my brother was saying was, "It's like you're putting yourself in the parameters where this can happen." And so, did it happen because he said so? No, it's because I went against the way things were supposed to be. That fence was to keep things out or things in, not for me to walk on it. And that's why I fell off and broke my arm. So you may say, well, I don't understand. You know, tell me more about this. Well, all of these things that we just read about uh, in these relationships and the sexual activity and the, the idolatry and these things, you know, they, these operate uh, in relationship, in the parameters that God set. Uh, horizontal relationships, and vertical relationships. And any time we go outside those parameters, we're going to get different results than what God designed. God designed for us to have amazing results when we operate within the way he designed things. Absolutely, that's how he made it. And so in the same way, like the chair today, somebody designed the chair that you're sitting in. And they put certain cushion inside of it and everything for you to feel. And and none of you looked at it and, and and you know, you you saw what it was. You know what it's for. So it is with God. He's designed things that way as well. Let's continue on in verse seven. It says, "You used to walk in these ways in in the life you once lived." So Paul's speaking to these these Colossians. And they would have been far from God. They would have never been spoken of in the same sentences as far as with God. And yet he's saying to them, you used to live this way in the life you once lived. So a transformation has taken place. Uh, something has changed uh, actually um, in the substance of who these people are. The change that has to, that takes place within the Christian is not a, uh, an outward change. That somebody comes and they say, I'm just going to stop doing certain things and start doing other things. That's not, how, that's not how biblical Christianity happens. See, there's something much deeper happening. It's not just about cleaning up the outside things. So you say, put to death. Great, I'll stop doing those things. Right? But see, that, that's not the issue. That stuff's not the issue. That's simply a symptom of the problem. And so the way that the follower of Jesus changes is that God does something inside of me. So you see, I need somebody to come in from the outside, inside of me, and to transform me. And then what happens is is that that works itself out. That works itself around me. Now the hard thing is, is that we like to work on the outside because that's right there, right? Like, I can do this. I can do this. Like when my boys were young, they used to, you know, I used to try to help them with things. And then like, I do. I do. I can do it myself. And we try to do that with God, with our lives. So the Christian salvation is not that we just no longer do certain activities, but it's an internal transformation. It's something that, it's something that we cannot do on our own. It's something that God has to do from the outside. And then it works itself out into real life, it's not the other way around. I just don't start doing things on the outside, and then the inside changes. So the question is: Is how deep is this going? Right? Because uh, I have I have this picture of of myself and a bunch of teenagers and leaders on a backpacking trip on top of Half Dome, and so uh, in in Yosemite, and we decided that we'd take this great picture and and. And so there's an edge, right? And some of the people are like right up on the edge. There's, there's something called the diving board on top of Half Dome. And, and some of our leaders, they've got their legs hanging over, and it's like thousands of feet down. And, and so you see them right there, and you see me like 30 yards back here. I'm like, am I still in the picture? Okay? Because I'm just like, you know, how, how, how close do I want to be? You know, how, how close is this going to go? And I think sometimes we think about God that way. Like, like how deep... Come on in. You're okay. Um, uh, how, how deep do, is this thing going to go? Like, how close am I going to get to Jesus? And, and we kind of say, well, that's close enough. And Jesus is a, is a gentleman. And so he's okay. You know, and then he works and moves in our life and does things. And then, and then all of a sudden, he, he ushers us in more. I had a, a procedure done recently on my ear... And the, the doctor was very good, but the way he did things is he was kind of like, there was a certain level of pain and, and discomfort, and then it was like, okay, this is going to be hurt somewhat. And then, and, then, and then it's like, this is going to hurt even more. And then it's like, okay, this is the really bad part. And so, and I'm like, oh God, I, I, mean, I, almost, I almost booked. And he's like, <clears throat> I'm going to go deeper now, and this is going to hurt more. And you, know, you may feel like that, like how deep is this going to go? Like how much of a claim does Jesus want on my life? Like, how much does Jesus want of me? You may say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, what are your intentions with me? Like, what what do you really want to do? Well, let's read in verse 8. It says, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So you may say to yourself as you look at these things in verse 8, anger, rage, malice, slander, Filthy language in your lips. You may say to yourself, "You know, does any of this really affect anyone else? Does this really affect anyone else?" I mean, so you've got uh, you know sexual activity outside of what God intended. Then you've got speech. Uh, what's interesting is that sex and speech is typically considered uh, private, right? Uh, in other words, like, hey, I can I can talk about stuff, and then my sexual life is private. You know, just you know don't go there and yet guess what jesus is going there you know through paul here and uh you know typically these are considered private but they bring the greatest harm they bring the greatest harm to relationships in lives uh they they break trust incredibly um they break uh you know physically they affect us emotionally and spiritually they affect us greater than anything else so that is it Jesus is going that deep with us that even the things that we consider private that are kind of my thing, Jesus says, yeah, I I want all of you. I absolutely want all of you. In verse 9, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So, I mean, do not lie to each other, right? And, And it's... Right, that's always the thing. Well well sometimes, you know, you need to lie because you can hurt somebody's feelings. And but here's the thing we know about God is that God's not hiding. And God's not lying. There's no darkness in him, he's only light. And so with other people we're not to lie with each other. And a life built on lies is a terrible existence. If I'm always kind of shucking and jiving and kind of like, oh, can't do that, can't do this. And and you say to yourself, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. But what you're doing is you're creating a false self. And you're not being honest with God and honest with other people. It's incredibly freeing just to be honest with God and just honest with yourself and honest with other people. It's incredibly freeing to do that. And Paul says, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self, right? You've taken off what was there before and its practices, and then you've put on a new self. And then it says that you're being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So as you put on this new life, the reason that we don't lie or we don't function in those ways is that we're being renewed. Something's truly happening to us by our creator, and so the reason for the transformation and engaging our will, right, because there's a volition, it's, it's, it says do not, right, so there's something I'm going to do. So I have a choice there, is we're being renewed. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a thinking person, I'm becoming more human like we talked about. What's interesting too is that when we say private, like when it comes to sexual activity or speech, it's casual. That's why we like to say private. And Studies have shown, neurologists and and others and scientists and psychologists, when we have casual sex and we have casual speech, it reprograms our minds. It absolutely reprograms our minds. It reprograms them away from what God intended us to have. Because that which we think about and that which we do creates new habits in our lives. And those habits in our lives create our destiny ultimately. See, a lot of times people have casual sex and casual speech and they think that it they think that it creates more intimacy they think that it creates closeness as they go about it but in actuality casualness in those areas actually creates divide the casualness of those where we tone down those areas and we make them private or, or casual it creates a distance between god And it ultimately creates a distance between us and other people as well. So the picture we have here is is that we have these things. We're supposed to put these things to death. We're supposed to move these things away. And then in Christ, we have a new home. And everything is altogether different in our new home. Like two months ago today, we moved into our new home. And we still can't find everything. There's big piles in the basement. There's big piles in the garage. and, And the hard thing about moving into a new home is that you have all of your same stuff, but where does it go? And where is the rhythm of your life if you need to fix something? Like, I, I have piles of screwdrivers in different places. I've got some in my room. I've got some in the basement, some in the garage. I, so if I need something, I have to go to, like, eight different places because I haven't organized it yet. So when you're in a new home, how do things work there? Let's look in verse 11. It says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaver-free, but Christ is all and is in all. So look at that verse right there. I mean, if that's not the answer to our problems in the world, what, what is? I mean, isn't that what, you know, the nightly news is trying to sort out? And, and, and isn't that what, you know, all the political debates and all of the things, it's like, you know, if something's wrong with the world. What do we do to fix it? And there's all sorts of programs and all sorts of things. And absolutely, let's help and let's do these things. But at the end of the day, this verse right here has what it's about. It's, is that, is that, it, what it's saying is, is that in Christ, there's not the difference between Gentile or Jew, the two major parties during that time, circumcised or uncircumcised, religious activity within Israel versus unreligious activity in. Rez- Uh, Israel, barbarian, Scythian, slavery, free, when it says barbarian or Scythian, he's throwing out like these are the worst people like uh, of this time. These are just total barbarians. It would be like the, the terrorist groups that are doing horrible things to people in the world today, all over the world, right? It's saying that there's not these divisions here. But if someone is in Christ, everyone is one in him. And we can try to make us one in the world in all sorts of ways. But I'm a firm believer that the only way that true unity happens in the world where the walls come down is in Christ. And we see it right here. And it's a statement that we can test time and time again. And so what we see next is that becoming who you are involves receiving and giving with others. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, there it is, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So so how will you look to others, right? Remember, clothes are an identity They communicate something. How will we look to others? What we read here is, is that is first that we're supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion. So the person that has compassion is somebody that, that feels. I truly feel uh, this is more and more difficult in our age, and the reason is is that we are so bombarded with media, you know much of it at our own doing we 're so bombarded with media that, um, that our senses we don 't necessarily feel when real stuff happens in life, depending on how we 're wired, or we feel overtly over because we 're so stressed because we 're seeing these things i 'll remember um, uh, September 11th, 2001, right? So, so just in a couple of days. Um, I was a youth pastor in Southern California. And so we, this just happened. We were gathering youth from across the city, um, you know, the next night, Wednesday night, um, for, uh, for, for a youth gathering. And, and so we took video of kids like, Hey, you know, what's going on in you as you see this? And I, I'll never remember, I'll never forget this one kid says, he goes, he was just being honest. He wasn't being disrespectful. He just said, I, I, I don't know. He goes, I, I've seen it before. Right? So in his mind, he had wired, he had seen that kind of thing before with, you know, the horror that he saw. So he, he, he couldn't really feel because it was on a screen. And he just, you know, with all the media that's there, he, he couldn't feel. And so it becomes harder and harder for us to feel today. But somebody that has compassion is somebody that's fully alive. They allow themselves to feel um, you know, it's, it's grieving is something of this. I found because of like wounds in my own life and things that I went through with my family and different things that I found, I realized something uh, in 2012 when my, uh, my mentor, since I was a teenager, uh, he died. And I wasn't going to go to his funeral because it was in another city and it would take a whole weekend and it was, it was just a lot of effort. And so I just said, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm going to move on. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and says, no, you need to learn how to grieve. You need to learn how to feel. You you need to do this. And I did, and I walked through that, and it did something in me because I needed to have compassion. I need to be fully alive to feel, to do that again. So it's a choice. Also, too, it says kindness. So when it says we're to clothe ourselves with kindness, actively distributing God's kindness to me and to others So I'm going to be kind to myself, and then I'm just going to distribute that kindness to other people. It's pretty amazing when we do this, isn't it? It's really, really amazing when we just distribute kindness. And it's not just a a thing of uh, proactivity, you know, I'm going to do this, but it's also when I have the power to get somebody, you know, like I'm totally in the right. And I just distribute grace and kindness. Because the idea here is is that I can't give away what I don't have. And I can't clothe myself with these things unless I receive it from Jesus. And so if I'm to give this away, then I receive it from him first. So as we go through these things, we get it from him. The next thing is to clothe ourselves with humility. So it means I'm realistic about who God is, and I'm realistic about who I am and who others are. That's all humility is. It's I don't have a puffed up view of myself, a puffed up view of others. i let God be who he is as well. And also it says gentleness and patience. So putting trust in God and what he is able to do rather than myself or others. Right? So that's gentleness and patience. Like I can be gentle and patient if I just recognize that God is strong and mighty. And um, that's something that God spoke to me this week is uh, is going through and life and this church and things is, it, I just felt God say, hey, like, hey, I'm, I'm still strong. You know, Cody, I'm, I'm still capable. I'm still able to do everything. And because I, I started to feel myself, like, working too hard at things where it's like, I can influence that. I can do that. And, you know, God spoke to me for years, like, you know, you're never going to be accused of not working hard, Cody, but let me do what I do. You know, you may have that as well. You may, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's something, you know, in your marriage, or maybe it's something with your kids, or maybe it's your job. And there's this place of you push and push and push, and then you realize, like, wait a minute. What if, um, what if I just wait upon the Lord? Like, what if I just, I've done what I can do, and even then, maybe that's not even helpful. Maybe I just allow God to be God. You know, that's what it's talking about when we're gentle and patient. So again, you know, how, how deep is this going? I mean, this is going pretty deep, right? I mean, Jesus is getting so just involved in our lives here. It's almost like he, he wants all of it. Um, so what's lacking when we put off stuff, but we don't put on something? So if we put off stuff, but we don't put on, what's lacking is love. In Colossians 3, verse 14, uh, in the next verse there, it says, And over all these virtues, put on love. Now listen to this. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so you've got the putting off of things, and then the putting on, and then it's love that binds them all together. That that's the place where we land. And so so how do we do this? How do do I put on love? Uh, Well, the next thing we see is is that uh, becoming who you are involves letting Christ rule. It's just letting him do it. Uh, I, I've gone to a chiropractor in San Diego for years, since uh, probably 20 plus years, and he's a good family friend. And if you've ever been to a chiropractor, uh, they'll do different things. And I always need help with my neck. But he does this: like right, somebody's grabbing hold of your neck, right? And they're going to manipulate and crack it. You're kind of like, so I'm I'm rigid. I'm like, don't, you know? Even, even though I know he's going to do it. So what he does is he 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 goes, let me let it go, let it go let it go and he said that and I'm like stiff as a board I'm not going to do it and then he 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 goes like this here and then my attention goes there and he goes and he, he just goes for it but the whole thing he's trying to get me to do is to understand that he I need to just let him do what he's made to do to let him bring the healing to let him do what's needed and that's how it is in this passage too. So the way that I let love bind all this together is I let Christ rule in me. I let him rule. And even the concept there, think about that, that we would let God do something, right? In some ways, it, it, it seems off that God needs us to let him do anything. But that's how God is. He's a gentleman and he can do so much if we let him. So in verse 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. So let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's first. And be thankful. And then let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs. So if you let the message of Christ dwell, then something flows out of us. And what is it? Well, it's, it's, um, we're able to help each other and encourage each other. Uh, wisdom will flow out of us through psalms and creativity and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. In verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if you remember what was in verses 5 through 9, okay? Think about what was in verses 5 through 9, like the, basically the things that people do to each other, the things that we do to each other apart from Christ, the things we're supposed to put off. But then, but then, if you look at the things in verses twelve through seventeen, now imagine this: there's there's two businesses. Okay, there's a business that everything is done there, and the main characteristics, the culture at the at the business, is like verses five through nine. People are lying to each other. There's casual, all kinds of stuff. There's anger, slander, mal. Right? Okay. There's that business. Okay, and then you've got the business that. Is the one where there's compassion and humility and, you know, which one would you rather work at? Which one would you rather punch your time card and, and show up at? You know, a lot of times small businesses especially take on, the, uh, take on the demeanor of the owner or the manager or the ruler, right? And so my question is, is you may say which business you want to work at, but which one would be created if you just let it flow out of you as well? And I, I know I'm, I'm meddling, okay? Because I, I went through this grid myself. I'm like, I think I kind of have a hybrid sometimes, you know? <laughs> kind of in process, if I'm, if I'm real honest. I mean, depending on different points in my life, there's a hybrid here of these. So which business is it? And really what it comes down to is responsibility because we have a God that has done everything for us in a new life. And he does it. It's by his power. But there is this volition where I say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do with my life. And and it's deciding who you are, who who you is. Uh, In closing, and that's really the question, who you is, because in this last passage it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Right? Let the message of Christ dwell among you. Okay? So you is used here. Uh, one of our sons, when they were little, they, they thought that their name was you. Right? Because, because we, would say, uh, we would say to him, uh, what are you doing? Right? Um, uh, where are you going? Um, why did you tackle the cat? Okay, and so we had all these questions, and he, so he thought his name was you, and we helped him with that, um, and we'd say, well, where aren't, well, aren't you big stuff? So the church at Colossae, the way they applied this from Paul, they had to say that they were you, and take responsibility and ownership. This, We're going to live this out. We're going to do this, you know, because... I mean, here's the reality. In the city here, in Kansas City, in the greater area, you come across both of these environments all the time. Some that are hybrids, there's probably three or four. Some that are like the first one always, and some like the other. Your neighbors may embody that sometimes. Uh, it may try to infringe on you. Your roommate, all, your, your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, your mother. I mean, all sorts of ways these things come against you. But then Paul's saying, here's a different path. And back then, and then also today, what God's saying is, is: who, you know, will you take responsibility? Will you let this be lived out from you in your life, in what you're doing today?